everyone. Welcome to episode 60 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. You can find all my work over at 2QBs.com. On the line, i got a special guest. Uh, first time on the pod with us, Sammy Reed at Sammy Reed F-I, and that's R-E-I-D in Reed, uh, of Roto Grinders, Fantasy Insiders, and the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast. Sammy, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm a big fan of two QB leagues. I've played in one since I had a keeper league. We started in 2001 and I think we converted it to two QBs in like 2006, something like that. And for me, it's just like the quarterback is the most important position in probably all of sports. And so the fact that we devalue it in fantasy kind of sucks. And I love that you're kind of leading the two QB charge. So I'm pumped to be on the pod. Hey man, you're preaching to the choir and I'm really excited that our, our barf league, this is how you and I met, is playing in this Bay Area rotisserie fantasy league. Uh, we did baseball for a couple of years, and this is the first year we got to do football. And I want to talk to you more about that. But as, as much as you can have breaking news on a, on a pre-recorded podcast, we have some, some breaking stuff to get to uh, with relation to two quarterback leagues. And that's the San Francisco 49ers trading a second-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. And in a corresponding move, they've let go of Brian Hoyer. This is a big shakeup to the QB position, and I'm kind of glad it happened today because we really didn't have that much quarterback news to talk about after week eight. So give me just your first impression of this deal. How, how do you like it for San Francisco? Um, how good do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be right away? Like, what's your take here? I really like it for San Francisco because I feel like if Garoppolo, knowing what we know, if he came out in the draft right now, he would be a first round pick. I think that's pretty clear. So the fact that they got him for, uh, you know, early second round value, I think that's super strong. And it's just got all sorts of ripple effects. The the ripple effect is, A, I'm sure the Patriots talked to Brady and wanted to make sure he wasn't retiring after this season. Yep. And so I think for people that own Brady and Dynasty, I think that's a really good thing for them that they can feel pretty confident he'll be around past this season. Probably beyond that, too, I'd imagine, right? Like maybe even like three or four years is what I would guess. Yeah. I mean, the guy the guy is just a football nut. So I, I think it's pretty reasonable to expect that he would have done it anyway. But I think this kind of cements it. And then it also has that ripple effect in Kirk Cousins. Where's Cousins going to go? You know, everyone's speculating, oh, Jacksonville or, oh, you know, here or there. But I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him now that San Francisco is probably not a destination. So we, I talked about how our league is Bay Area based. You and I both live in the Bay. And I, I don't know if you're a Niners fan, but I am. I grew up with the team. And I, I got to be honest with you. I'm so glad that they're not going to go after Kirk Cousins. Like I felt like that was just a mistake waiting to happen. You know, whether or not you believe in Kirk Cousins as a player, like I think he's fine. Like he's a, he's a starting caliber quarterback for sure, but I don't know if I want him as my franchise guy. And, I think we saw him get a little exposed in this this past week. Like you see what happens when he doesn't have a really good offensive line, and I think he's been skating on that for a little while here. And I think Washington knew that too, and that's why they continue to not pay him is because they know they they know they've been able to protect him, and he's delivered within that scenario. But now that you know maybe that offensive line is getting a little dinged up, you start to see some more true colors for Kirk Cousins. And to be fair, you could say that about any QB. You give them O-line problems, and they're going to struggle, like Andy Dalton this year, Eli Manning, like the list goes on and on. The point I'm trying to make is that Cousins isn't one of those transcendent guys like an Aaron Rodgers, right? He's not a guy who can succeed in the face of O-line problems. And with that in mind, this move to get Garoppolo, while I don't know if he's that sort of franchise QB either, 
I know that Cousins isn't, so I like this move more. You know what I mean? I agree with that. And the money that it's going to have to take to sign Cousins this next offseason, that's the kind of contract that can cripple a team. And I know San Francisco's got a ton of cap space, but you don't want to get into one of these Joe Flacco situations with a guy that can't transcend, you know, bad situations. So I really like the move. I think it was great for San Francisco. I'm a Steelers guy, but you got to be pumped. And I'm like, as a Steelers fan, I'm like, damn, we should have, we should have traded a second rounder, you know, would have taken our first, but dude, Ben's, Ben's not long for the league. I, I wish we'd taken a shot, you know? Yeah. How do you feel about Josh Dobbs just long-term? I, I, I didn't know you were a Steelers guy. Yeah. I, I, you know, I wish I knew more about him. I thought he was okay in the preseason, I don't necessarily see him as a guy that's like going to come in and be able to lead the team without any hiccups. But at this point, I I don't think Ben is that great of a quarterback. I mean, he got hurt last season and missed a game or two and then came back. And ever since then, he just hasn't looked right. Like he doesn't even look right throwing the ball. And, you know, at some point, I think this like if I were going to bet, I think it's Ben's last year. So I think we'll probably see a lot of Dobbs next season. And I'm hoping he's good. Yeah, you and me both. Um as far as, like, I, I said I was a Niners fan. If I had a second team, you know, that AFC team to root for, it is Pittsburgh, strangely enough. So we have that in common. I, I'm with you. I don't really know if Dobbs is the guy, but Ben just doesn't look like the same guy anymore, and it'll be interesting to see how much longer he keeps going. I, I think he could turn it up a little bit over the second half of the season here. Uh, I think the offense is starting to click around him, like Juju replacing Martavis Bryant, getting all that nonsense out of the way. That helps. Uh, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see about that. Let's get back to Garoppolo real quick. How comfortable you, would you be starting him kind of right out of the gate in week nine against Arizona? Would you want to wait a week to kind of let him acclimate? Like, let's assume that he's named the starter. I mean, I, I suppose it is possible that Beathard gets one more shot so that Garoppolo has a week to acclimate. But yeah. if Garoppolo is good to go, are you using him this week? Uh, I mean, my situation would have to be pretty dire. I'll tell you that. It mm-hmm. was... You know, we saw Pierre Garçon leave the game last week. I'm not sure of his status for week nine. And if he's not in and you have Patrick Peterson covering up, I don't know, whoever it'll be, Goodwin, there, there's just not that many options there. I think it's a pretty tough spot to be in. And we know that quarterbacks, I mean, it takes a while to get acclimated to that playbook. We saw Matt Ryan not do, I mean, he was fine, but not great in Shanahan's first year in Atlanta. So I think it'll take some time to grab a hold of that offense. I'm more interested in Garoppolo, you know, for next year. But if you're in a desperate situation, man, bye weeks coming up, injuries, what have you, sometimes you just got to lock and load. Yep, six teams on bye yet again in week nine. So you might have to run him out there. I think he's in a two-quarterback league, got to be one of the top waiver pickups this week. And like I said, we didn't really have a whole lot of QB news to go through. So if you were hurting for a quarterback and you have like a lot of, you know, free agent acquisition budget left, I think you can feel pretty comfortable spending it on Garoppolo because even if he doesn't start this week, you know, a week later and beyond, he should be pretty entrenched as the starter there as long as he's healthy. And yeah, can't wait to see how this plays out as a Niners fan. I'm Like I said, I'm really stoked, especially glad it, this kind of puts them out of contention for Cousins, as I said. But uh, let's move on. Let's get to some other stuff here. I want to catch up with you on the Barf League because this is the first season we've done this uh, 12-team PPR Superflex. And, man, dude, Justin Mason is just continuing this hot streak that he had in the baseball Ugh. league. He has the seventh most points entering week eight, and he was at six and one. He's he's projected to win again and go to seven and one. Like, just as a as an aside, what's the best way to trash talk somebody who's in Justin's position, either without sounding like a sore loser or jinxing yourself? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I do. I, I think it's one of those things where we go into it knowing that fantasy football isn't fair. I mean, if you've played for any amount, it's just not like if you've played any amount of time, you've had the team that's easily the best. And maybe you didn't even make the playoffs because you just ran into the other team's top ends of scores. You know, it, likewise, you see a guy like Justin Mason, whose team is hot garbage and he just wins and wins. And it's so tilting and frustrating. So for me, I just call Mason a fish because he is a fish and he knows he's a fish. And, uh, you know, I hate him. He's he 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 does more of the smack talk than anybody. It, all jokes aside, he's a great guy, but yes. <laughs> he knows he's a fish. I like to call him a fish. And, and you know, we kind of look at each other and have that understanding. My favorite way to approach these sorts of situations is to not say anything at all and just wait for them to fall apart in the playoffs. Because like you said, if he's in the position he's in now with so few points, but such a good record, chances are he's just getting lucky. And that stuff does not usually last forever. He might win, you know, the regular season crown. Who cares? When he gets to the playoffs, he's probably going to get bounced by one of the better teams. Now, you never know. Like, in the playoffs, maybe he lucks into a couple of good waiver pickups. He definitely has more fab than I do. I'll, t I'll tell you that much. But, I, yeah, my, my approach is to kind of, you know, keep your mouth shut. Um, it, of course, I'm saying this on the podcast out loud to the world, so maybe I'm not keeping my mouth shut at all. But it's very <laughs> passive-aggressive of you. <laughs> But yeah, just like play cool. That's 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 my move. Um, if if I if in one of my other leagues, you know, with maybe somebody who's uh, not a, another fantasy industry person, I can call out. I, I wouldn't be calling them out on the podcast like this. But tell me about your team, man. You've had a lot of tough luck. You're in ninth place. You're at two and five. You have the most points against, though. This is again fantasy football, not fair. Uh, you have more points scored than three of the teams who are ahead of you in the standings. What including been, Justin Mason. Yeah, seriously. What is what has been your biggest takeaway from this frustrating season in the Barf League? You know, I, I think some of the takeaways is that I was not at all on the rookie QBs. You know, I took QB early. I think I had the number five pick and took Brady over Odell Beckham, which I questioned. Obviously, Beckham got hurt, so we'll never really know the true outcome of that. Brady's been pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, but I have just, I feel like a bias against rookie quarterbacks. We've seen so many of them bust, but we've also seen some really huge seasons in the last couple of years, going back to RG three, but then Russ Wilson, Dak last year, Watson this year. Um, I just didn't really get into that pool. And I kind of wish that I would have, I ended up taking Jay Cutler in like the seventh or something like that. And after I had Brady and Stafford, I feel like I should have gone value with my third quarterback, looked for a rookie or looked for, you know, a little more streaming option than saying, oh, Jay Cutler's my guy. And I mean, Watson, I looked at it today. He went in the ninth round. It's not like he went that early, but or that late. But even so, he wasn't a guy that was at all on my list. And I kind of wish that obviously it's a revisionist history, but I wish I had played my third quarterback spot a little better. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think that one of the reasons why chasing, you know, the younger, more risky quarterbacks, one of the reasons that can work a little bit better is if your league is super flex. You know, like you said, you had two entrenched starters. You had Brady and Stafford. You probably felt pretty good about those guys. And then at that point, there isn't that much incentive to go after a guy like Cutler. You, you'd probably be better off chasing the upside of the unknown, kind of like what we talked about with Garoppolo versus Cousins for the 49ers. You know, you're sure. looking for that type of player who could blow up. We know that Jay Cutler might be fine. He might be able to fill in by weeks and, and keyword being might, right? Whereas Deshaun right. <laughs> Watson or even Carson Wentz might be able to do that as well. And we, we've seen them deliver 
just really great seasons. And I mean, on the flip side of that coin, we've seen some veterans have really good years too. Like Alex Smith came out of nowhere to be awesome. I, I don't know. Like for me, quarterback is such a crapshoot and and they're all so close in value or at least close in terms of range of outcomes. You know, so much has to go right, whether it's offensive line, coaching, you know, the, the weapons around them. Like look at Eli Manning losing Odell Beckham Jr. and Brandon Marshall. Like he was a guy who was conceived to be pretty safe, you know, or at least safe Absolutely. enough to be startable most weeks if you needed a quarterback. And now he's a guy who you can't trust at all. And I, I don't know, this stuff's really fluid to me. So I always fall back on that late round quarterback mentality of I don't really care which quarterbacks I get. I just want to feel like I'm getting a value relative to where everybody else is drafting them. So like I, I usually don't take quarterbacks early at all, but in this particular draft, you took Brady in the first, a couple other guys went in the first. I think Derek Carr got taken in the first. Uh, and yeah, Laura, Laura took Derek Carr. And I think Rogers went number two or number three overall. Mm-hmm. And so you see, yeah. when I saw those picks happening through the first and the second round, because I picked at the top of the first, when it got back to me in the second round, I thought, well, maybe I should consider a quarterback here because so many of them are gone that if there's one that I like, and, and there was, it was Russell Wilson, I was like, okay, I'll take Russell Wilson here. You know, even though that's not typically the type of draft pick I would have made. And, and I don't know, you kind of go on down the line. I just want to feel like I'm getting a guy when I'm drafting a QB who's better than some of the quarterbacks who have already been drafted, or at least has more upside. And ultimately, all I really want is just enough of them. I want three or four so that maybe I do hit, you know. And if I'm not investing in that position at quite the same level that other people in the league are, it just gives me more chances to outperform expectation at the position at that position, if it makes sense. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And, and you had the number one pick, so obviously you were almost forced into David Johnson. And then I felt like the draft really like fell well for you. Oh, and totally obviously did. you had a you had a lot of bad luck having having DJ get snapped. But just in terms of like what you did, I really liked that. And 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 I agree. At the end of it, there's a couple elite guys. And then the rest of them are going to be 200 to 275 yards, one or two touchdowns, depending on matchup. And so at some point, they're all pretty similar. And so I completely agree that it's like, OK, we'll get your value, then use these picks on value, because the difference between Jay Cutler in the seventh and, you know, Alex Smith in the 12th or wherever he went is not that big. Yep. And, and I mean, I say chase value a quarterback, but really that's what you're trying to do at every position. I just feel like it's easier to mine that quarterback value if you wait relative to the rest of the people in your league. And I'll continue to preach that. Uh, not everybody's going to buy into it, and sometimes it's going to burn me. Like, I have plenty of leagues where I'm looking at, you know, C.J. Bathard and Jacoby Brissett as my every week starters, and that's that's the price I pay. But, you know, in other leagues where I end up with Wilson and Deshaun Watson as my QB3, then, you know, then I have a really formidable team. Like, I also in this league have been very aggressive on waivers. I'm out of fab. I've spent all $100. You've been pretty aggressive of well, as well. Um, only one other team besides me has spent more than you. In hindsight, considering how your season has kind of played out, do you wish you had been more aggressive on waivers at any point? Um, maybe. And this might be a little revisionist because at the time I thought it was a solid move not to bid up Aaron Jones. Mm. Uh, he ended up going for 22 bucks. But obviously he just like stepped in. I thought he'd be a one week guy. Ty Montgomery had been so good for the better part of a full season almost, you know, starting from last year. And he's basically taken the job. He Wally pipped uh, Ty Montgomery. So 
I wish I'd been more aggressive there. Like I said, he went for 22 bucks, but I will say in general, we probably subscribe to a similar theory where it's probably better to spend more money early, right? Because when you spend that money and you have a player, you have more games with that player. You know, you get a guy in week 11 or week 12, yeah, he might help you out a little bit, but you're getting so much less of the season from that guy. So I try to be aggressive early and so much seems to change earlier rather than later as well. Oh yeah, that's totally my mentality is I want to get maximum value for those fab dollars. And if I'm spending them on a guy in week three, that means I just have more season to use that guy if he hits. And my, my other thought when it comes to that stuff is in this particular league, we have it set up to where you can make $0 bids. You can pick up free agents after the waiver period runs. So it's not like I can't pick up guys anymore. Now, if you're in a league where fab is your only way to pick it up, you have to make every bid at least a dollar. You have to manage that a little more carefully, of course, right? But in something oh, yeah. like this where I'm still going to be able to make pickups if I need to, even if I'm desperate, you know, picking up, you know, guys from the bottom of the barrel, I can still do that, which, again, incentivizes me to use that money early if I can. So, yeah, you and I are of the same mind there. Let's yeah, and there's also, like, so many – sorry to cut you off. There's so many values, right? Like, I think Jarek McKinnon was picked up off free agents for no money. I think Evan Ingram maybe went for a buck or two. Meanwhile, overbids on guys like Moore went for 36, Bethard went for 24, Hundley went for 19. So – I feel like this is like fab is so much of a crapshoot sometimes that, you know, when you identify a guy as good, you want to go after him because dude, people are going to blow their money on not good things. And so, you know, if you're identifying things right, I think there's just a lot of value there and you can get guys cheap like you're talking about. So story time regarding that Brett Hundley bid, that was me. And I oh, have, oh, I have, a, uh, sorry about that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I have a, uh, I have a side bet with, with Danny in this league. Uh -huh. as far as who's going to go further in the playoffs. And he's the Aaron Rodgers owner. So I felt a little more incentive to be aggressive with the Brett Hundley pickup. So <laughs> there's, there's real dollars at stake here. That's like a, that's like a pretty solid equity swing. I kind of like that. He's also the Zeke owner and I picked up Darren McFadden. So I, I, I actually wonder if I'm overdoing it with that stuff, if I should just focus more on, trying to make sure my team is the best it can be. There was definitely a period over the past couple of weeks where I was wondering to myself, it's like, am I only holding Darren McFadden just to screw over Danny or, <laughs> and I could, I mean, there is no other, or that's exactly why I'm doing it. Right. Well, I'm, I'm fully in favor of screwing over your friends uh, in any way you can in fantasy sports. So I'm with you. I'm behind you on this. Fair enough. Hey, let's, uh, let's dive into week eight. Uh, like I said at the top, we didn't really have a whole lot of quarterback news, but one thing I wanted to get to, and this is one of the guys who's on your Barf League team, is Deshaun Kaiser. He finally made it through an entire game without getting benched. I say finally. He's done it before, but for the past couple starts, he hasn't been able to do it. Uh, in London, he was able to stay in the game the entire time against the Vikings. What do you think this does for Cody Kessler's stock? Are you of the mind that he should be held still just in case Kaiser goes back to his turnover prone ways? What are you doing with Kessler if you have him in a two quarterback league? Uh, I probably, unless I just have a free roster spot, I probably don't think it's worth it. It's pretty thin. Like he started at eight games in his career. He's been halfway decent. I think he's got 6.9 adjusted yards of it, uh, an attempt, but he, he doesn't run. He doesn't really have any good receiving rep weapons. At the end of the day, I just think it's a pretty thin spot. Like, you're bummed if you have the, the starting quarterback for the Browns, which I do. You know, if you have the backup quarterback for the Browns, it's like twice as bad. Yeah, now I have Kaiser on a couple teams, and I, I 
even with that, I think you can let Kessler go. I think if you're holding a backup quarterback like that, you'd rather hold, you know, the type like Jimmy Garoppolo, someone who's going to come into a good situation. Whereas if Kaiser is benched again for Kessler, like long term, he's still in the Browns offense, right? And there's not a whole lot of value there. So I, I agree with you. Another guy that you own is Martavis Bryant. And, you know, they held him out this past week. You know, he's basically on the outs in Pittsburgh. Juju Smith-Schuster went completely bananas against Detroit. Is it safe to drop Martavis Bryant? Are you going to drop him in uh, Barf League? You don't have to give it away if you don't want to, but... <laughs> yes. For for the other folks out there who have him on their rosters, what, what should they do? Yeah, I do think he's safe to drop. And obviously, this is going to be league-dependent. If you're in a dynasty or something, you might not want to be so quick to get rid of him. But the reality is this. I talked earlier about how Ben is just not throwing well, and he's throwing the deep ball extremely poorly. Extremely poorly. So... That's really Martavis's bread and butter. So he wasn't really getting a lot of usage anyways. And he's got talent, but if you're not getting opportunity, I have no idea if he's going to be, uh, you know, reinstated by the Steelers. Mike Tomlin the other day was really noncommittal about that. And if he goes to another team, wide receiver is another position where it takes a while to learn the scheme. It takes a while to learn the playbook. And if he went to another team, even if it was a good offense, I wouldn't necessarily say, oh, he's got a bunch of value now. You know, this is something that could be many, many weeks of trying to learn the ropes and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, I mean, I don't try to build narratives because I don't know these people, but I'm a little biased as a Steelers fan. This is a guy who was suspended for a full year for multiple drug offenses. The team could have cut him, stood by him reinstalled him into the starting lineup and he starts like bitching up a storm because he's not getting the rock enough, even when the team is winning. And that's just not the kind of guy that I think flies real well, not just on the Steelers, but other coaches are looking at that and they don't want that kind of guy on their team either. So I think it's a tough road ahead for Martavis. Yeah, I'm with you. I think he might end up in a good situation, but there's no way you can bank on that. And like you said, the learning curve for getting into a new offense is steep. Uh, you know, getting on the same page with whoever his new quarterback would be. And again, this is all assuming that he gets out of Pittsburgh in the first place, which he might just end up, you know, riding the pine for them for the rest of the season. I think he's definitely a cut candidate if you need that roster spot. I don't think there's a whole lot of value for him moving forward. Another thing I want to talk about, and this is kind of a stretch because we're talking about defense now, but Earl Thomas has what's, you know, called a slight hamstring pull. And the Seahawks generally did not look very good against Deshaun Watson. So when you are playing quarterbacks or when you have a quarterback who's slated to play against Seattle, is that still a matchup that scares you? Or is this a situation where Deshaun Watson is just that good and we still need to regard the Seahawks as a tough you know, opponent for our QBs? Yeah, I was really surprised by this Watson performance. I thought the regression monster was going to come eat him up and it didn't. He played extremely well, but he still threw three interceptions, got sacked five times. You know, when you're looking at Seattle, they came into this game ninth in overall defensive DVOA, fifth against the pass. Even with this monster game from Watson, they're eighth in fantasy point scoring uh, against quarterbacks. So when I looked last year, I seem to remember the Seattle defense really playing poorly uh, when Thomas got hurt last year. And I went back and looked. They only gave up 207 pass yards per game without him last year in six games. And that's that's pretty good. So I think Seattle's still a force to be reckoned with. I think it's just we got to chalk this up to Watson and Fuller and Hopkins being awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I kind of hate to admit it because I was with you. I really like I, I, I wrote this in my article last week. I said, you know what? 
people are blowing smoke at Deshaun Watson a little too much. Let's let's see him do it against a good defense. And then sure enough, week eight, he went out there and, and really had an awesome showing against Seattle. I'm super impressed. And I, I don't want to put too much stock into one game, but you know, it's not just one game for him at this point. It's it's many games of excellent fantasy performance. So I, I was wrong. He's he's a QB one and we have to treat him as such. Let's go back to that Cleveland game, and Isaiah Crowell, who has been a huge disappointment for a lot of his fantasy owners, I mean, I say a lot, all of his fantasy owners, to this point in the season, he finally had a good game. Do we care at this point, though? Is it? I, I, I'm ready to chalk this up as to, again, just like a one-game thing. I'm not ready to trust him, are you? Yeah, I mean, I my fiance really likes Hallmark movies, and I probably care about the end of the Hallmark movie more than I do about Isaiah Crowell's performance. <laughs> I mean, if if I own him, like I care in the sense that maybe I can trade him for something. But I think the thing is this: like I think of football very much in daily fantasy terms. I play a lot of daily fantasy on on all sorts of different sites, and one of the things you really want in running backs when they're in good situations is You want them to catch the ball and you want them to be home favorites. Like that's the ideal spot. Well, Crowell's a two down guy. He doesn't catch the ball and the Browns are going to be an underdog. I'm assuming in every game the rest of the year. So when you look at his playoff matchups, he's got Baltimore in there at Chicago, which is not terrible, but not that easy either. I just don't see a really good way that Crowell is going to be that valuable. You know, he's a guy who's going to get you 40 to 60 yards and get a touchdown once in a while, but I just I just think it's a lost cause. And I mean, so many people will spend a third or fourth round pick in MFLs this year. And, you know, you just kind of got to take the L and chalk it up. And, and hopefully if you can trade him after this, great. But other than that, I, I'm not pumped on Crow no matter what he did this week. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily blame people for going in on him back in the offseason because there was some expectation that the Browns would be better. And to be honest, the Browns probably should be better. And I think some of that falls on Hugh Jackson. A lot of it falls on the quarterback play. But you're totally right about Crowell. I don't think he's actually that bad of a receiver. They just don't use him enough for him to get that full workhorse load. Like Duke Johnson is a very good player, and they use him too. So that takes away from Crowell's upside. That's just how it goes. And if their defense can't keep them in games, like their their defense is a sieve against the pass, which is like literally if, if you're a bad team, the one thing you want to be good at is defending the pass. You want to make people beat you with the run. And with the Browns, it's the opposite. So they're just going to continue to stay bad, and that really hurts Crowell's bottom line. If you can get something for him right now based upon this one good output, I think it's time to sell. Like, I, I would take whatever I could for Crowell if, as long as I felt, you know, I was getting some sort of piece I was I would be able to use moving forward. Let's talk about Indianapolis. Jack Doyle, their tight end, head and shoulders above the other tight ends this week. 14 targets, 12 catches, 121 receiving yards, and a touchdown. Is he an every week tight end starter for you going forward? Oh yeah. So so my buddy uh Anthony Amico, and you know Anthony, he oh, called yeah. him Yak Yak Doyle <laughs> for his yards. <laughs> that's yards great. After catch. I, I just think that's a fantastic name. And you know, you never want to overreact to one big game, but the reality is this he now has a twenty-five percent target market share. That's the highest in the NFL of any tight end. And it was second coming into this week. So it's not like he had been a slouch before he was 10th in market share of air yards. He's more of a possession guy than a downfield guy. Like he doesn't get these deep bombs or anything, but we're talking about these game scripts on bad teams, like with Cleveland. And when you're a bad team, a lot of times in the third and fourth quarter, 
the other team is up two or three touchdowns and they're just playing drop back zone and the quarterback looks and everyone's dropping back and he just does a little dump underneath. That's what Jack Doyle has done pretty much all season. And so I think you can count on him to be super solid. I don't think we see a lot of zeros from him. And when you're talking about like second rate tight ends, that's what you don't want is zeros. And I think Doyle with that target market share is just super safe for a lot of receptions. So unless you've got another big stud on your team, I do think he's an every week starter. Yep. He's basically what we wanted Dante Moncrief to be this season, right? That possession yes, guy. Yes. And the the thing about those game scripts you're talking about is the one thing they're not going to do or, or the defenses are going to you know sell out to not do is give up a big play to T.Y. Hilton. And that's exactly why Doyle is seeing all this success is because he's that easy read underneath and he's going to continue to do that as long as their defense is bad, which, you know, newsflash, the Colts defense isn't going to get any better going forward. Yeah, he's definitely proven to, to have that trust from Jacoby Brissett and that sort of chemistry matters in fantasy. You want those guys who are going to continue to get targets. And it's not just this last week. The two weeks before, I think, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think he had seven and 10 targets or seven and 11 targets the two weekends, right. the two weekends previous. So this is a trend. This is a guy that you can feel comfortable with going forward on the bad end of the tight end spectrum here. Uh, just really, really gruesome injury for Zach Miller. I don't want to, you know, make light of the injury. I don't want to, it's, it's always hard when, when we have these really nasty things go down is like, as fantasy analysts, we have to kind of try to turn the page and look forward to what this could do to these teams going forward. And, you know, I really hope that Zach Miller gets better, but we need to consider Deion Sims. Is he a player you have any interest in moving forward? Probably not. And and the thing is, you kind of want to look at what Miller was doing. And he caught a couple of touchdowns, so his stats didn't look that bad. But, I mean, Trubisky's been in there four games, and he's averaging 20 attempts per game. You know, we've seen him have a game where he had, whatever it was, seven attempts, four completions. And Miller's receptions in those games had gone three, two, two, and zero. 3.8 targets per game. So Deion Sims, if he was as good as Miller, he would have been starting all along. So I think we can expect that to dip even a little bit. So I, I think it's extremely fringe to, to roster Sims. Yep. And and that's it. It's If you're in a really desperate spot, I think you can consider him, if only because he was their run blocking tight end to begin with. And now that they have Trubisky in there, they are limiting his attempts. And that means they're running the crap out of the ball. And if they're going to run that much, Deion Sims is definitely going to be on the field now that Miller is out. And so you might see a little bit more play action to him, uh, especially, you know, down around the goal line. He has that touchdown bingo upside, you know, where he might have one or two catches and that's it. But if one of them is a six yard TD, you could be okay with that from a tight end spot. So I don't think he's exciting, but, you know, maybe you're the guy who's just been screwed at tight end all season. And if that's the case, then. Sims is a guy you can consider. I'm not high on him by any means, but there are a couple, there are a couple like deep league spots where I, I had him already. Like I'm in one league where I'm in one league where we're not allowed to make trades or pickups and the rosters go super deep. He was like the third tight end I drafted in that one. And I'm going to be starting him because the other guys I had were Charles Clay and Vance McDonald. Um, but, oh man, that's just, that's just bad tight end luck the entire season. I mean, I, I will say this, like you were talking about how tough it is, the human aspect I saw the replay of that Miller injury once and I didn't want to see it again. It made me so sick. You got to feel awful for this guy and just 
football players in general when they don't have guaranteed contracts and things like this. And then we heard the news that like he might actually lose the leg because of so you know, vascular damage is so scary. I'm, I'm glad. I think I saw today that he's going to be able to keep the leg, um, which is just a blessing for him. Um, mm-hmm. But cra- crazy stuff, man. My heart really goes out to him. Yeah. Best wishes to Zach Miller and his family. Let's let's hope he gets recovered from that. Uh, let's let's turn it more positive. Let's get to our awards for week eight. We're going to start with the boom of the week at quarterback. Who was the QB who outperformed your expectations the most uh, this past weekend, Sammy? I, I mean, I think the obvious answer would be Watson, and I think it's so obvious. I'm actually just going to go with somebody else. Um, I like it. I, <laughs> because, I do that all the time. That's a great call. Yeah. Um, the, the, the guy I'd actually go with is Matt Stafford. The reason is this. We know Stafford is a really good quarterback, but he'd suffered some leg injuries uh, right before the bye, and so he came out of the bye, and he looks so healthy And Detroit really had this great game plan against Pittsburgh, who's a predominant zone team. And they were playing a lot of cover, too, against uh, Detroit. And Detroit was really attacking them deep down the seam or down the sidelines. And Stafford, he's one of the few quarterbacks in the league who's able to make those throws. And he was just nailing them. Pittsburgh was averaging like 150 passing yards allowed per game. Stafford didn't get any touchdowns. Uh, the the coaching blew it in the red zone. He had a couple of drops in the in the end zone that could have made his day better. But he ended up with 423 passing yards. I think it's really great to see that he had so many attempts. I think it was great to see that the bye week got him healthy. And I was just super impressed by his play. So I'm gonna go with Stafford. That's a that's an interesting call. He was actually a guy I called for people to bench last week because of that matchup against of Pittsburgh, course. and it of was course. the right thing to do. So I love that you're looking at expectation versus actual results, and you're not pinning all of his fantasy value to touchdowns, which we often do. You, like you saw that he performed well, played well in that scenario where he was really you know facing an uphill climb, and that that's a fun call. I, I did choose Watson as my guy. You said it was obvious. It is obvious, but. In a week where most quarterbacks fell below 20 fantasy points, Watson went nuclear in a matchup that had me very skeptical. We talked about that already. Before week eight, the Seahawks had allowed the third fewest fantasy points per game to opposing QBs, an average weekly finish of QB 22. And this one game from Watson bumped Seattle from, you know, 29th in quarterback points per game all the way up to 22nd. So now they don't even look like that bad of a matchup. Anyway, I'm always, like I said, I'm afraid to make snap judgments based on one single game, but Watson really impressed me in that one. Uh, a couple other just kind of quick hits, guys who I thought did well. Josh McCown against Atlanta, 18 points. Yeah. He's, he was the QB4 pending Monday Night Football. But we know that Atlanta is like a dream matchup, at least in terms of quarterback floor. It's no surprise that, you know, if McCown hit a couple of those passes for TDs that, you know, he ended up in that, you know, top 10 quarterback discussion. Uh, Case Keenum was also in a really good spot against that porous Cleveland defense. He did well. Uh, Jacoby Brissett really impressed me. He's probably like the closest to honorable mention status for me. This was his third top 10 finish and fourth top 20 finish and seven starts. So I think that like, unless the matchup is really brutal, you can start him and feel pretty good about it. Like guys like Jack Doyle are helping, right? Yeah, they really are. And we'll see what happens with Moncrief and Hilton. We've heard the trade rumors around Hilton, but Brissett was, we talked about switching teams. It's the hardest to do for a quarterback. And the fact that he's been able to go to, to Indianapolis and be passable, I think, speaks a lot to his future. Yeah, this is one of those rare cases where that foundation from New England probably helps him a lot. Whereas, you know, we've seen yeah. that fail with a lot of other guys in the past, Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer, to, to name a couple guys. Um, let's talk about the QB bust of the week for you. 
Who was the quarterback who underperformed your expectations the most in week eight? There are a lot of guys to choose from here. Yep. Obviously, it was not a not a great week for quarterbacks. Um, you know, I, I thought of guys like Rivers and Cam and Jameis Winston, but I'm going to go a little bit off the reservation yet again, and I'm going to go with Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm going to go with Brees is because I believe that this points to kind of a larger issue. For the longest time, New Orleans was a super pass-heavy team. They had an awful defense. They played in shootouts all the time. And we've seen a real change from them. They are running the ball more. Their two best players are, I mean, besides Michael Thomas, maybe, but Kamara and Ingram are just handling, you know, together they're handling like 35, 40 touches a game. Their defense has really improved. Cameron Jordan and Latimer, uh, Latimer have really stepped up. Their defense is no longer egregious. And I think it just points this larger issue. We saw this late in careers with guys like John Elway, Peyton Manning, where they got into their late 30s. And they stopped being these gunslingers. They let their defense make stops. They ran the ball a lot. And they became a little more smart game managery. And I think that might be what's happening with Breeze. And I think in a fantasy sense, that's bad because, you know, we might not see those 350-yard, three-touchdown performances quite as often anymore. And uh, he still has a lot of value attached to his name. So I'm willing, if I own Breeze, obviously in a two-quarterback league, he's still a QB1, but... I'd be looking to entertain offers for him if I thought the price was right. I love that call uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because Breeze is getting a little older. You can see that writing on the wall. And if, if you've really examined him kind of at a granular level over the past few seasons, there are small signs of decline year to year. And this season, like you said, with that improved defense, with those good running backs and Kamara and Ingram, there's incentive for him to not throw the ball as much and to lean a little bit heavier on that running game, lean on the defense, manage the game. Like you said, like great points across the board. The other reason I like that call is when I look at the other QBs who kind of fit that criteria of bust for me in week eight, almost all of them kind of fell under that cloud, that literal cloud that was enveloping the East coast. And the weather was so bad for a lot of those games that you look at, you know, Tampa and Carolina, Winston and Cam both had bad games. Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, both disappointing. Phillip Rivers was disappointing in New England. Like, there are excuses we can make for these other guys. With all that said, my bust of the week is going to be Jameis Winston, because even with all the excuses, he didn't even put up five fantasy points. You know, this is the third time the Panthers have held opposing QBs to under five, but the other two instances were against Brian Hoyer and Mitchell Trubisky. So, any you know reasonable quarterback has been able to perform well enough against the Panthers. I just expected a better showing from Jameis, and I don't know if this means if we can attribute all this to the to the weather or how much of it has to do with that AC joint sprain that he has. Maybe he had it aggravated since week seven because he looked fine in week seven. I, I think you can also chalk up a little bit to Luke Kuechly coming back for that Carolina defense, but. Come on, Jameis, you got to get me, you know, at least 10 points if you're going to be considered, you know, like an every week two QB starter, right? Yeah, that was that was super bad. It was a very, very poor performance. I think that's a, you know, if we're just looking at like the, the bottom line, I think he was definitely one of the biggest busts, if not the biggest of the week. Yeah. Aside from him, Prescott was probably the guy who disappointed me the most, if only because Washington had given up a couple of huge games in previous weeks to both Carson Wentz and Alex Smith. And I, I don't know about anybody else, but I was kind of of the mind that Prescott was on the level of those guys, that he was, in a fantasy sense, as good as Wentz and as good as Smith. 
I, I think it is worth noting that Washington's worst defensive games against QBs have been on the road. So maybe they're one of those defenses that when they're at home, we need to pay a little bit more attention to that and give them a little bit more credit. What do you think about Washington's defense as a QB matchup? It's actually not the easiest matchup. I mean, obviously, when Norman comes back in, that you know decreases some of the expectation because he's one of the better cover men in the league. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this was Dak's first like bad game of the season. So it was tough weather. It was a tough spot. It's not like the Dallas offense really struggled. They got into a positive game script. They rode Ezekiel Elliott, and uh, you know that just ended up turning out poorly for a fantasy matchup for. Dak Prescott. So I'm fully willing to give him a pass here. Yep. Game script matters. We, we, I mean, you talked about it with Drew Brees. The same stuff applies to Dak. Um, anything else you got on week eight that you think is worth noting? Uh, a couple things. I mean, we saw Robbie Anderson have a big game. He had over 100 yards and a touchdown. And he's a guy, if you subscribe to the, you know, kind of the theory of air yards and stuff like that, he was an air yards darling coming into this week. And he's now tied for third in market share of air yards, tied with like DeAndre Hopkins, Dez, and Michael Thomas. And he's available on the waiver wire in a lot of leagues. So his next couple games versus Buffalo at Tampa Bay, both those guys have had a lot of injuries in the secondary, which makes their pass defenses weaker. And if you got buys coming up, I think Robbie Anderson is a fully legit guy to pick up and plug in. Yeah, he's the he's the type of player who should have been owned already. And if only because yes. he plays for the jets, people just dismissed him. Um, what else you got? Uh, I mean, we talked about Juju. I, I love Juju Ooh. and being a Steelers fan, you cannot uh, trust anything I have to say about the Steelers. <laughs> Cause I am a huge Homer, like admittedly, but even without this 97 yard catch, I mean, he was six for 96 on nine targets. Pittsburgh has been looking for that second option. Um, and he seems to be that guy. He's very kind of, I hate to throw around hyperbole early in a guy's career, but he's very Heinz Ward-esque. He's not the fastest. He's not the biggest, but he just seems to be really smart. He, they like him on the field because he's a really good run blocker. And when you're getting additional snap share because of that stuff, it can really help things out. And so I, I think we're going to see a ton of him moving forward. And I really like him. And then the other guy I wanted to mention was Marlon Mack, who got 14 touches, nine, uh, five targets. He outsnapped Frank Gore for the second straight week, and obviously Robert Turbin had that really bad arm injury. He's going to be out for the season. Mack is a guy who's going to see a lot more work in the passing game. And again, we talked about game script. Indianapolis is going to trail a lot. They're going to have a lot of dump-offs to Doyle and a lot of dump-offs to Mack, who's shown he can make big plays. So. I think he's owned in most leagues of like legitimate sizes, but I just think he could be a really good contributor in the second half this year. Yeah. Like you said, everything that we liked about Doyle can apply to the pass catching back in that same offense and Juju, man, what a revelation. And some of the signs were there, right? You look back to his college production, didn't have, you know, the, the best yardage numbers, but he was a beast in the red zone for USC. We're going to see that translate because we know that Antonio Brown isn't necessarily the biggest red zone guy, uh, Juju has proven that he can get those touchdowns. And I think that he's probably the number one at waiver ad this week. I would imagine. I, I think if you're in a two QB league, maybe Garoppolo fits the bill, but there's also a good chance Garoppolo was already owned. I mean, we talked about Robbie Anderson as a guy who, who should have been owned. Do you think that Juju is a, is a player who were you picking him up before this big explosion week? I guess that's the question I'm asking is, how ahead of the curve do you think we should have been on him based upon what was going on? 
Well, I don't mean to like pat my own back, but I did pick him up in a ton of leagues, so I did own him already. Obviously, the Martavis stuff was like written on the wall. Yeah. Um. We, we you know, we weren't sure how Juju was going to perform. Obviously, this is like really uh just a positive development for him. But at the end of the day, Pittsburgh's had a lot of trouble in the red zone, right? Antonio Brown is not that big guy like you mentioned. Their tight ends, Vance McDonald, has kind of struggled to get acclimated there. Jesse James, not that great. Martavis is, has been messing around. So I think Juju could definitely be that guy. And uh, as, as smart as I think I am for owning him, I did not start him in either of the leagues I own him. So uh, I, I'm not quite as smart as I think I am. Well, hey, at least he wasn't start for somebody else, right? That's always what I tell Correct. tell myself when I have a guy go off on the bench is, you know, he could have been in someone else's lineup. So things could have been worse. Um, let's, Very true. let's look ahead to week nine. And we're going to jump right into our streamer pick. Who is your favorite or the most intriguing quarterback streamer for you in week nine? There's a couple of guys out there. Uh, I think McCown fits the bill versus Buffalo. Uh, Poyer and EJ Gaines could be out again. We talked about that secondary being depleted. I think that would be really nice. Uh, I'm not sure about Winston. Like Fitzpatrick may or may not play this week. Like they were making some noise like Winston was kind of hurting. So We'll see what's going on there. But I think the one guy I'm going to throw out there is Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. And we talked about him at Houston. Houston's a, a tough matchup on paper, but, I mean, we know this is not the same defense. J.J. Watt's out. Merciless is out. Cushing is suspended. Boye left in free agency. This is not that great of a defense. And I just think that, that Brissett has surprised me. I don't think he's like a QB1 or anything close to that, but he's one of those, like, low – kind of QB2, QB3 types that I'm not afraid to start against Houston. Yeah, and the rushing upside he provides always gives him a little bit of extra value. I like that call. He was on my short list of guys to consider. I'm going to go a little deeper and throw out a couple like bargain basement level guys here. And the first, the, the guy I'm most interested in is Drew Stanton going against the Niners. They've allowed every QB they face to finish top 20, at least 13 points, allowed in every game and at least 15 fantasy points allowed in all but one game to quarterbacks their defense keeps getting worse in san francisco too they just lost safety jimmy ward with a broken arm that means eric reed who was supposed to come down and learn how to play linebacker is going to move back to safety we know stanton isn't great but he has plenty of weapons he's coming off a bye and this matchup is just too good to ignore like the niners are just not very good and we can exploit that if we're willing and if we have the stomach to play Drew Stanton and, you know, with six teams on by, maybe that's something you have to consider. Uh, the other one, and this is going to sound really gross, is Matt Moore <laughs> going against Oakland. <laughs> I, was, I was like, grosser, grosser than Stanton? No way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing with Moore is, and, and this is very narrative heavy, but he's he's on a long week. He had extra time coming off of Thursday Night Football. That's, you know, one narrative that's in our favor. The other thing I like about him is that I think people are going to be down on him because of how poorly he played against a very good defense. Like, we're talking about Baltimore here. This is one of the top five defenses against the pass. And going to Oakland, we just saw Tyrod tear them up. They just have not been nearly on the level of a team like Baltimore to where if someone dropped Matt Moore and you need a quarterback, or maybe you could trade for Matt Moore on the cheap if you needed a guy, he's a player who... I think it's going to be a little undervalued or at least underperceived this week going against Oakland. What do you think about Matt Moore? Uh, I actually don't mind it. And I think that we all had, I don't want to say we all, cause I didn't really, but I think a lot of people had higher expectations for him last week. 
And going into Baltimore, especially there, it's just a super tough spot. I think that he's got great weapons around him. And also Devontae Parker will probably be back this week. And I think that really helps him out a lot. So uh, the same stuff about Stanton. Like these are, uh, I told you, I play a lot of DFS on DraftKings. These guys are close to minimum price. And the pricing on DraftKings has gotten so tight that a lot of times you have to make choices between guys like this to load up at the skill positions. And I think those are two great guys to consider. Now, when you're talking about using those cheap quarterback options, are you talking about more cash game plays or tournament plays? Actually, more cash game plays, which sounds a little counterintuitive, right? Because cash games, you're like looking for safe, solid production. But the the reality is, is that the low price QBs tend to provide more value per point in a lot of spots. Obviously, if a guy blows up like Russ or Deshaun Watson, that won't be the case. But in general... The difference between a guy who throws for 303 and a guy who throws for 202 is actually not that many fantasy points. And so you really, in general, on DraftKings want to pay down on a site like FanDuel, where the pricing is a little looser. You can pay up for that mid-level, high-level in certain spots. So it really depends on the price you're on. Yeah, I mean, the the thing about quarterbacks is that they naturally have that safety, right? They touch the ball so much, they're going to get points for the most part. It's not very common for a QB to fall below, say, you know, 10 or 12 points week to week. And, and usually you can see those matchups coming. With guys like Brissett, with guys like Stanton and Matt Moore in good matchups, you can pretty comfortably expect them to, you know, score somewhere between like 13 and 18 fantasy points. And if that low price that they offer unlocks, you know, the rest of your lineup to get a bunch of studs or, or, or just a bunch of other players that you really like, that's something that's worth considering, right? Exactly, exactly. Yep. Uh, a couple other, just, I'm just going to throw a couple other names out here. Give me like thumbs up, thumbs down as a streamer. Uh, Joe Flacco at Tennessee. Uh, whew. Tennessee is a really good matchup, isn't it? Um, well, we'll see if Flack, I mean, it, it has been all season. I'm probably going to give that a thumbs down though, just because it's Joe Flacco. Yeah, I'm with you. I actually think that Tennessee is one of those, like, you look at the schedule that they faced. And the good quarterbacks, or at least the decent quarterbacks, have done well against them. The bad quarterbacks, not so much. So I think that that might be a bit of a trap. Uh, Trevor Simeon at Philadelphia. Uh, I'm actually going to go yes here, assuming Emmanuel Sanders is back. Philadelphia, I mean, their their defensive line is great, but their corners really struggle. And I think there's some room to to get good points there. Blake Bortles against Cincinnati? No, no. Never Bortles. Never Bortles. Hashtag never Bortles. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm team never Bortles for sure. <laughs> Brett Huntley at home against the Lions. Uh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. I'll go I'll go with it. I think that the bye week will be huge for Huntley, uh, just in terms of like getting stuff done. And we talked about that rushing floor helping things out. I think that he's got a nice rushing floor, which can at least salvage him if he doesn't do well passing. So, yeah, as as you can see, listeners, there are a lot of cheap options that are available to you. You don't have to feel bad about starting these guys. Again, quarterback has a has an inherent floor. And because, you know, any quarterback is capable of, you know, kind of getting two or three touchdowns on accident, if game script goes their way, there's a ceiling too. So, you know, these cheap guys can get it done for you. They might not always, but there's a shot for that. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Let's talk about quarterbacks who we would normally start, but we're avoiding this week. Who's your clipboard holder of the week? And before you answer... I'm going to disqualify Andy Dalton at Jacksonville because I think that's too easy. It, it is it is very easy. I'm going to go with a guy that might not 
be as easy. Um, just a slightly non-obvious answer, but I'm going to go with Alex Smith. Ooh. And the reason I'm going to go with, yeah, the reason I'm going to go with Smith is this, is this is very small sample driven, but it made a lot of sense to me. I was listening to Mike Lombardi on uh, the, the ringer pod that he does, and he's just a super smart guy. And he was talking about how the Chiefs offense is way more built to face man coverage than zone coverage. We saw the Chiefs really struggle against the Pittsburgh Steelers, who, I mean, they're a great defense regardless, but they're very, very zone heavy. And what Kansas City does is they run a lot of these misdirections, guys running across the formation, you know, trick handoffs and screens the other way and all this stuff. But it doesn't work as well against zone coverage because all those zone guys, they don't move too much before the snap. And they're always looking at the formation. They're not caught out of position nearly as much. And so when you're looking uh, like against Oakland, Smith had a great game, but it wasn't until Oakland switched to man coverage. Like the very first man play, they went to cover one and they ran that out and up with Tyreek Hill for the deep touchdown. So when you look at uh, Alex Smith, where he's going, uh, 20th in DVOA, um, I'm like, I'm like totally blowing on who they're playing though. I'm they're really playing sorry. Dallas. So they're, they're in Dallas. Thank you. Thank you. I like made some notes and I'm like, oh, I didn't write down it was Dallas. I'm, I'm like talking out my yang right now. Dallas is very, very zone heavy. Um, they're decent against the pass. They're kind of average-ish. They were 20th in DVOA, 31st against the rush. So I think we see a really run-heavy game plan. And even though Dallas is not that strong of a defense, they play a lot of zone. And so I'm going to say that they're able to throw a wrench in that passing game a little bit of the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, that's wild. He wasn't even on my radar as a guy to potentially not start because I don't perceive that Dallas matchup to be that bad. But you're right. Maybe we see a script where they go a little bit more run heavy. And because of the amount of zone that Dallas runs, that maybe that is that kind of Achilles heel. I'll have to dig a little bit more into that. Thank you for, for cluing me in, Sammy. That's awesome. Um, uh, well, if he, if he throws for 303 next week, you can just call me a fish and uh, we can move on from it. <laughs> well, this tends to be such a pro Alex Smith podcast, mostly because our, our, our co-founder at 2QB, Sal Stefanili, is just uh, he's the biggest Alex Smith fan on the planet. So you might not be welcome back on the pod after he hears this. But, you know, with all that said, I like a good, bold call. And that's that's definitely up there for me. I'm going to avoid Marcus Mariota. The Ravens have only allowed more than 12 fantasy points to a quarterback once this season. The average weekly finish against them is QB 22.3. Only the Jaguars have been better at shutting down QBs. Again, Andy Dalton is too easy an answer, um, especially considering all the offensive line problems that the Bengals have. But back to Mariota against Baltimore. He's coming off a bye. Corey Davis might be back. So I think that there's you know potential for some for me to be wrong here, but I'm still going to avoid him. That Baltimore defense is just too imposing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I don't like anybody against Baltimore there. And, and we saw Mariota. He really hasn't been that great the last couple games. And that, that could just be a struggle for him. I, I see that as a really low scoring kind of ugly game. I think we can chalk up a lot of his struggles to play calling and coaching too. Like the way that they've game planned has been very, very strange. And by strange, I mean bad. I have not liked the way that they've run their offense, and I don't know if we can expect that to change. And this is, like we said, such a bad matchup that why why worry about that when there are these other cheap quarterbacks in pretty good or, or, or not really good spots? I think you can think about benching Mariota. It's just, yeah, it's it's the things are lining up against him. Um, 
I want to ask you, I want to get back to the Seattle defense and ask you about Kirk Cousins going into Seattle. He's probably the, the second, the guy I'm, you know, next most worried about. And maybe he should even be more of a concern because of the, you know, the struggles they have on that offensive line in Washington. Cousins is not Deshaun Watson. Can he get it done this week against Seattle? I, I'd say probably not. I mean, we saw three of their linemen out this week. I'm not sure what their status is uh, going into next week. But if some or all of them are out again, I mean, that's just a, a piranha eating, you know, fish spot right there. And I, I think the other thing about Cousins is that last season they were really a down the field kind of threat, right? Jordan Reed is probably not going to play. And Vernon Davis has stepped in really well, but they have no confidence in the guys in the outside. We saw Josh Dobson get one uh, one catch on like two or three targets last week. Terrell Pryor has basically been benched. The entirety of their offense last week was dump-offs to Chris, Chris Thompson and then dump-offs to Jamison Crowder, like really short, easy stuff. I, I, I think it's just strength against weakness for Seattle, so I really don't like Cousins this week either. Yep. Um, what do you think about Carson Wentz against Denver? I made the case kind of against Denver last week. They're just not as imposing against the pass as they have been in previous seasons. We're seeing the Chiefs, you know, beat them again tonight on Monday Night Football. I just checked the box score. I think it's 17 to three. What do you think about Wentz? Is he a guy you'd be comfortable starting against Denver? Yeah, he is. Um, I, obviously, I still think it's a tough matchup. I don't think it's like that great or anything, but I feel like sometimes players supersede matchups. You know, like a guy like Antonio Brown, you never sit Antonio Brown. I've got a lot of equity in daily fantasy when he has super tough matchups, like when they played Jacksonville and Jalen Ramsey. I was just like, this guy's so good. I don't really care about the matchup. That's what great players do is they succeed in bad matchups. And I I know it's early in the season, but I think Wentz has looked so good. That offense is clicking so well. And it's not just one guy. I mean, he's getting everybody involved. Jeffrey, Aguilar. Uh, Smallwood in the in the in the you know short passing game. Um, obviously, Zach Ertz is having a monster year. He spreads it around well. He rushes. He does so many things well that for me, it, even though the matchup looks tough, I'm not going to sit him. Well, and they're so pass heavy to begin with. Like their game script is is very predictable. They throw the ball a ton. They don't really want to run it. Yes. And against Denver, who despite everything I just said about their pass defense, has gotten really good against the run. The Eagles have even less incentive to run the ball, so that just means Wentz is going to be throwing more. I Yeah, I'm with you. I think that's a fine matchup. The last QB I want to ask you about is the struggling Matt Ryan going on the road to Carolina. What do you think about his matchup in Week 9? Oh, this one's tough. I mean, Matt Ryan has he, – he's not played well. Like, let's let's not, you know, let's not sugarcoat well, it and, at all. And he to just, be fair, let, let's kind of – Put the same thing we said for Mariota out there. The play calling has been a little suspect for Atlanta, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I, you have one of the top three wide receivers on the entire planet on your team. Why are you not smart enough to do what the Steelers do with Brown or what the Texans do with DeAndre Hopkins and throw the ball the guy to the guy 10-plus times a game? Throw it to him in the red zone. You have to do this. I just don't understand. It's like it's very cute to spread the ball around and that's all great. But at some point you cross that line and you become suboptimal. And, you know, it's it's kind of a thing where you're not sure how much is the play calling and how much is just Matt Ryan saying, oh, you know, I, I'm not going to throw it to this guy because he's not open. Look, dude, Julio Jones is always open. <laughs> he's just throwing the rock, right? 
the the thing that's a little concerning about Matt Ryan is actually his volume. Like he's only thrown the ball more than 35 times in a game once all season. Last year, he wasn't like super pass heavy. They were very balanced, but he was so efficient. But if your efficiency is going to go way down and you're still not going to have a bunch of volume, all of a sudden you're not that like surefire lock that, that he was last season. Yeah, totally. And what really scares me about that increased rushing volume they have is that it's not like they're succeeding with that either. It's not like, you know, Dallas this last week where the weather and the opposing defense gave them incentive to run the ball a ton with Ezekiel Elliott. They're giving Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman a lot of volume, but they're not being as efficient as they were last season either. And I think that this team, this offense might be better off if they went a little bit more pass heavy. I think that that would be a boon to Matt Ryan because it would allow him to one, spread the ball around like he has been trying to do, but also with those extra passes, get Julio more involved. Right. And, Maybe we see that flip at some point. Maybe the light goes on for for Sarkeesian in Atlanta, but I don't know if you can trust it because we've seen time and time again coaches be very stubborn to change, and, and they get locked into their ways, whether it has to do with the way they evaluate their own players, whether it has to do with the way they call plays. I don't know how you trust Matt Ryan in this spot. With that said, I, I don't know if I would bench him, even at Carolina with Keekly back. It's he's He's been serviceable enough. I like. Let me put it this way. I like Matt Ryan more than I like Marcus Mariota or Kirk Cousins this week. What do you think about that comparison? Are you on board? Oh yeah, I would agree with that. I think I think Matt Ryan he's safe for you know a medium ex a median expectation of like two fifty and two touchdowns, right? Especially on the road, you know he's had somewhat significant home run splits in his career, uh, fantasy points wise, but. I definitely like him better than those guys. I will I will throw out one more thing, is that Devontae Freeman, he hasn't been getting thrown the ball, right? No. So we were talking about throw Julio Jones the ball. He hasn't been getting it to Devontae Freeman either. Freeman has not had five targets in a single game all season. He's only had four targets in one game. Everything else is two and three, and it's like, look, dude, this is where your bread is buttered. Look at Drew Brees, right? Drew Brees throws it to Thomas, and he dumps it off to his running backs, and his team is winning. Do more of that. So uh, I, I, I'm i kind of bummed on what Ryan and Sarkeesian are doing, but I agree. I would way rather have Ryan than those other guys this week. Yeah, it's kind of like Matt Ryan and Alex Smith had some weird, like, body or, or mind-swapping, like, parent or, or what was <laughs> Freak, Freaky yeah, Friday. Yeah, Freaky Friday. Parent I wanted trap. to say Parent Trap, yeah. but I got, all, I got my wires crossed with those old Disney movies. But, yeah, it's like a Freaky Friday situation <laughs> with Alex Smith and Matt Ryan from last season. It's been wild. Um, anything oh, yeah. else you're interested in for week nine? It doesn't have to be QB related, just anything that, that's caught your eye. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I just checked out the DraftKings slate for the first time this week. So I, I definitely look at it from a daily fantasy angle, but like this week, yet again, for like the third week in a row, I'm super pumped on Mark Ingram, right? Yeah. This guy's getting 26.7 touches per game and five targets per game since Adrian Peterson left. New Orleans, I think the early line is seven and a half points. They're favored at home against Tampa Bay. I think he gets the ball a, a bunch a, yet again. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is a guy at wide receiver that I'm really interested in. He's third in all of the NFL in air yards. And Mike Evans is going to line up against Lattimore more often than not, just the sides that they usually line up on. That leaves Deshaun Jackson against Ken Crawley, who's New Orleans' worst corner. He's allowing almost 0.4 points per fantasy point uh, per route run against him. 
opposing teams have thrown twice as often to his side as they have to Lattimore's. So I really think that sets up well for Jackson. He kind of disappointed last week, but I think he'll do good this week. And then the last guy, I wanted to throw out one guy from each position. This guy's pretty easy, but I'll go with Evan Ingram. With all those guys just dusted for for the Giants, I mean, he's just getting a giant share of targets, 19 in the last two games. He's big, he's fast, he's smooth. He doesn't have that, like, tight end learning curve because he doesn't really block. So he's just a big glorified, like, slot receiver, and he's getting a ton of work. So I think you have him in all your lineups, and I think he's a great DFS play as well. Yeah, how does he stack up cost-wise to the other tight ends? Is he still kind of middle of the road in, in terms of price? He's starting to get pricier. DraftKings is starting to like get the get the hint that he's, you know, he should be priced up. He's he's 5600 this week. So on the main slate that makes him the third most expensive, but it's like a huge tier below Ertz and Kelsey. So then you have him in this big tier with like Jimmy Graham and and Delaney Walker and Jason Witten and of all those guys I like Evan Ingram the best. Nice. Yeah, I I like him. I have him on a couple teams. I I hope that I hope that you're right about him. Um Thanks a ton for coming on the show tonight, Sam. I really appreciate it. Hopefully we'll get you back on again soon. Why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you, like on Twitter, and um, kind of give them the lowdown on what you're working on week to week. For sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Sammy Reed FI. Uh, I, I have like 90% bad tweets, and then 10% of the time I throw out a gem, so you can always look out for those. Um, I do a weekly column for Roto Grinders called The Read Option. It's all daily fantasy-related. And then my buddy and I, Doug Thorburn, who's a director at the National Pitching Association, one of the smartest baseball dudes I know, we do a podcast called Baseball Hawks Anonymous. We're actually going to record on Wednesday night right after the series concludes. Um, so we're pretty pumped on that, and you can find it on iTunes and Stitcher. So you're just assuming Game 7 here is, is what you're telling me. I'm I'm fully assuming Game 7. We've already, like, I'm like, the moment it ends on Wednesday, and he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's just, it's <laughs> karma. Like, I'll be shocked if it doesn't happen. So as much as I love football, I'm also a big baseball nut. I know you are, too. And, uh, you know, this is, like, the best time of the year when it's, like, midseason football and then the World Series. It's just, like, it's it's just the best. You even get basketball and hockey if you're into those sorts of things, too. It's, it's yeah, a really fun time for sports. Um, Thanks again for coming on. Uh, listeners, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can send questions to us at 2QBs, uh, T-W-O-Q-B-S, or if you want to email us, you spell it the same way, 2QBs at gmail.com. Rate and review the podcast. That always helps us out. Uh, otherwise, good luck in week nine, and we'll catch you next time on the 2QB Experience. Adios. Adios.